Psalm 119, starting at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you now and we ask you to help us as we read the Word to be changed, to be transformed, to be taught. And we ask, Lord, that You who know our hearts better than any, that You would do a work in each one of us in this room, and those who are listening to these words, Lord, that You would pierce them, that You would address what You have been doing in our lives, and that we would be faithful and trust You. We ask that You do these things all in the name of Jesus and for His glory. Amen. My dad worked in construction most of my life. If you know anyone who is in this line of work, it's not abnormal to hear about the things that they build. For my family, this usually took place while driving in the car or anywhere in the Sacramento area. We would be going along and on the freeway or the road, my dad would just randomly point his finger out the window and say, I built that. And there would be almost always some story that would follow along that was brought to his mind as he saw that particular project. Now my kids, they would, if not my kids, surely, surely my wife would tell you that I actually remember many of these places. Many of the things that he would point out as we drove. And it was almost as if growing up there was these all these little pieces of my dad's handiwork scattered throughout the foothills of Northern California. Over the years, as I would watch my dad leave in the morning to go to these jobs and then to come home from a long day, I didn't realize it, but I was, I was actually learning something. Even from a distance, I was learning what it meant to work. At least what it meant for my dad. He never told me, at least that I can remember, uh, what it meant, but I saw it almost every day, daily. I knew what a long day looked like. I was aware of what it required to be at work on time when the drive was two or three hours long just to get to the job site. And I understood what that meant and the impact it would have on the night before. Day in, day out, the same thing. Dad would leave the house in clean jeans and shirts, and he would come home covered in sweat and dirt. When the time came and my dad passed, his hard work did not end up leading to a life of wealth, and 
he was not really the most remarkable example in a lot of areas of life. But one thing I can say as I thought about this is that he never told me what hard work was, but he sure did teach it to me. As we consider our text this morning, I hope we can realize that we have much more than a great set of guiding principles in the Bible to live by. We have in the Scripture a teacher. Or put in other terms, to delight in the Word of God is to receive a divine education. In our psalm this morning, this entire idea is actually encapsulated in the opening verse. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of Your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. The psalmist sets the stage for us to understand what this, this, this uh, education looks like and its effect that it will have on our lives for those who, of us who learn. If you're like me, this opening psalm is like a prayer, at least similar to a prayer, and that we pray it all the time asking that God will help us to understand His Word in such a way that we can understand the implications for a particular situation. Often, different situations all the time. And more often than not, it seems like the specificity of our circumstances are completely missing when we go to the index of our concordance. It's not there. So, to pray or even to read with the psalmist in this sense is to enter into the school of Christ. That is, our education begins with us calling out to Him and trusting Him. That our Lord does actually know what we're going through. That He understands what life has in front of us and that we can actually trust Him to help us in it. Now, if you're a parent who's ever had to drop off your kids at school for the first time, or if, you know, I know this from my own kids, almost every year there is this, uh, this weird thing that happens where there's a massive buildup of resistance against entering the actual school. Uh, this happens really obviously in the kindergarten age in uh, particular. And there's always, there's always though, these one or two kids that are so stoked to be at school that they kind of wish that it happened the day before. You know, they're, they're those kids, uh, those weren't my kids. Uh, but if you look at the doorway, uh, in the threshold even, there's usually a pile of students with their arms tightly wrapped around mom's leg or dad's leg, and they are pleading, pleading to not be left. Refusing to say goodbye. And I think... I think this is kind of a picture of us as we can sometimes consider the school of Christ and Scripture. For some of us, it's easy to go to the Bible and we're eager to read and to learn, trusting with seemingly little effort that our answers are there, that they can be found. Others, like myself, we struggle to understand how it's going to help us to see what we're actually going to learn in the Bible. And after all, Life is just too complicated at times, and I don't think I remember a place where it talks about being rear-ended on the way to work being somewhere in the Scripture. It's not exactly a topic that seems to be covered. But with this hesitation, we enter, and 
as a good teacher, our skeptical nature is actually calmed down, and the author brings us and he builds our trust to encounter the Word and eventually to encounter the encouragement we see in Scripture, particularly in Hebrews 4, telling us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, knowing this, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to to help in a time of need. So this is our challenge this morning. No matter how easy it is for us to sit at the feet of the One who will teach us, we can trust that He knows us and our needs. We can know that He will address them precisely in the way that we need. The significant part of this challenge, as with learning in general, is that we usually come to the table with our own ideas of what needs to actually happen, right? Or what needs to be addressed. Am I alone in this or is this your experience as well? Like we usually come to the Scripture saying, this is what I need you to deal with, Lord, but is that what typically happens? Now I used to work in a technical role that required a great deal of field training. It it took a lot. And we estimated, uh, the senior guys, we estimated that it took a new trainee somewhere around two years of learning the role before they would have the experience to be able to face whatever would come up in it. And no matter how many times you would tell these new guys, they always thought, as I'm sure I did, but they always think they're the one that's going to figure it out in a week. So we let them. Usually, depending on their level of self-perceived expertise, we would give them a week or two to figure it out, and then they would start to realize they had a lot of things they needed to actually unlearn. And then we would get started, and they would actually start to learn. I think this is kind of like what it's like to understand the instruction of the Lord. What it is to come to the Scripture in faith expecting to be taught. Some of us need to lose our ideas of what's what, and we need to go to the One who actually knows what's what. We need to come humbly knowing who He is and recognizing the patience and grace that is afforded to us in the classroom of Scripture. And as this happens, we start to realize the need for change we discussed last week. We start to see ourselves in the shadow of the Almighty, and we realize it is in the shadow of His care and kindness that we can be changed. There is so much for us to learn. There is much to learn. If you are still skeptical that I'm referring to useless information that you read in the pages of your Bible, that's just data that has no place in the workplace, no payoff in the market, no impact on your marriage, or no help for your finances, it's not going to do anything for your mortgage, then I ask you to consider what is taught in the passage today. The author, in verses 35-37, through makes three requests that I think help us weigh these rebuttals clearly. First, he asks to be led in the path of his commandments. I, I realize... This is probably me splitting hairs, but when I, when I read this, I, I can't help but point this out to you, so be gracious to me. It's a, one of those nerd moments. I apologize. But I don't think the idea of leading is what's actually being requested here. It's more than that. Instead, the author is asking for something more like divine intervention in his life. 
Not just lead, go before me and do this. Yes, that's certainly part of it. But what the psalmist is asking is, make it so that I can walk in your ways. Do something to me that I am unable to do myself. And this, coupled with the two following insistent requests to incline my heart or turn my eyes away from, these show us that what we are to learn in the school what we will and are to learn in the Scripture and what we are, are to be taught by the Lord. Jesus is not just about teaching us useless information. These are the most basic necessities of life. The things that we need to live. Even more than that, we need to live what we need to live the life that He has given us. But they are the fundamentals that drive everything that we do and how we do it. The way that we function in the workplace. What we hold on to and let go of in the marketplace. The fundamental reality that supports a good marriage. The real security that puts us in proper perspective when it comes to our finances. All of these and many more are not just informed in what we are taught in Scripture, but are under the precision of our divine instructor and they are designed to transform us. When we see the instruction of Jesus take us and shape us, we find ourselves engaging the world around us in a new, radical way. Ways that cause us to read with the psalmist in agreement. Lead me in the path of Your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to Your testimonies and not to selfish gain. That's not like anything in the world. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. There are many things, many things that are designed to catch your eye, to catch my eye. And so to join in the psalmist and pray to turn my eye away from these things is radical. You need help. We need help for this. And we know it because if you've ever been trapped by any of those things, tempted in any way, you know this. He says, turn my eyes away, looking away from worthless things, and give me a life in your ways. And we read these things, we pray them, we join in agreement because we learn that all the areas of our lives are addressed at one place by these particular requests, and that is the heart. Nothing about this is ever simply pragmatic, just practical. We always try to simplify, like, what can I take from this and put to work right away as if that's all there is to it? Like, things just really come down to being just business or just work or just a task or that's just life. We always do this. No, all of it is ultimately tied to the outp- an outpouring of what sits at the center of who you and who I are, the heart. This is where it comes from. And from what we can see here in our passage, this is exactly what the Word of God, our dusty old Bibles, are designed to do. They're designed to instruct our hearts. And from what we can see here, this is what is offered. When the people... This is not... I'm sorry, let me, let me say this. I want to just stop and say this is not a new perspective. This is not something that is different than what's been taught before. It's not something that folds out of a new place in the Bible that's not taught elsewhere. It's all over. 
This has always been what the point of the Word of God has been for. When the people were reminded of God's instruction before entering the land of Israel, that's at the front of your Bibles. They're told by Moses, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. All of life. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and you shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Word of God is to inform every piece of your life. Always starting at the heart. Always. And then generations later, we're reminded by the prophets, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose hearts is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever. My salvation to all generations. And then Jesus not changing a dime, not, not one thing. In, in the Gospel of Mark says, and He said, meaning to those who He's teaching, what comes out of a person defiles him. For, within, with, uh, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, Foolishness, all these, all these evil things come from within and they are what defile a person. All of these passages and many more show us that the instruction that we actually need, what's provided in the Scripture, are always matters of the heart. Always. And from the instructed heart, we start to see that the most amazing effect of our Lord's labor we start to understand things as we should. Although many of the things in our life are never mentioned in the pages, they're never verbally mentioned, they're never pointed to specifically like the guy that rear-ends you on the freeway, right? But we see that all of the heart issues are addressed specifically. We learn that they all belong in our life. And I think this is where we're taken by the psalmist. Understanding our lives and all that is going on in them needs to be appropriately centered and balanced. And if you think of it, I believe this is what the overarching lesson of, this, of the Scripture is to tell us. Or, to put it another way, that Francis Schaeffer famously said, or at least titled his book, How Shall We Then Live as a Result of These Things? And so, for us this morning, some practical, pragmatic things for us to take to put to work. There are some questions that need to be answered. And it is in this, in this question that the instruction for all our lives is actually addressed in the Word of God and summarized in Psalm 119 and verses 38-40. through 40. The first of, of these is we need to learn that the fear of the Lord is good. The fear of the Lord is good. I think as, as a people, our current genera- uh, a people of our current generation, that we have done a massive disservice to the idea of what it means to fear the Lord. 
Trying to undo the hostility of generations past, we have muddled the idea into nothing more than a stain of what it actually means. And likewise, it terrifies us to conceive of of God in such a way that we cannot approach Him freely without concern. This is right, but it doesn't simply help us to know what it is to fear the Lord. As I mentioned previously, my father uh, was in construction most of my life. And part of growing up with somebody in construction, a normal reality is that there is a presence of carpentry tools all over the place all the time. They're everywhere. I literally grew up with these things in the car, the house, the garage. Anywhere you can think of, there was something. And it was usually that chalk stuff that they used to mark things. It got all over stuff for some reason. But uh, they were, for me like a rake or a shovel are for many. Their familiarity didn't, transpar- they didn't translate to an appropriate caution because they were always around us all the time. That is until one day, uh, my dad accidentally ran a circular saw right through his hand about halfway. And so when I was about eight or nine years old, we went and saw dad in the hospital and all I know is his hand was like three times the size And he told this amazing story of how he just slipped and the saw did what it saw does. It cuts things. And ever since then, I've used a circular saw only a handful of times, no pun intended. But every single time I've used a circular saw, it was used with an incredible weight of understanding of what that thing is capable of. I had an appropriate sense of fear. Brothers and sisters, friends, I wonder if we have an appropriate sense of fear of the Lord because we just simply don't understand what He's capable of. I'm not talking capable of our destruction. I'm talking about what He's able to do. When we sit in the school of Christ, when we read our Bibles and He teaches us and He unpacks what it means to be the people of God. And you see in the pages of Genesis, and Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all the way through the Scripture, He is not some pansy. He gets what He wants to do done and He does it efficiently and He does it always for His glory. Do we as a people have an appropriate fear of God to be able to look at Him, to see who He is in the Scripture, and to know there is nothing that will stand in His way? Nothing. When we have that kind of fear, can you see what it means? And we can see this, and it is provided for us in His Word. It is here that we see what has testified about Him, what He has done. And I think so many of us get paralyzed when we face difficulties because we simply just don't understand. We, we may know, but we don't understand who He is and what He's like. And we need to spend that time in the school of Christ observing and learning what He's like. When we read our Bibles and see how He heals the sick and He gives sight to the blind and He provides for the needs of people that seem like it's never going to come. And He rescues those in distress and He raises the dead. It is absurd. I don't understand why we are tempted this way. It is completely absurd to us that we would even hesitate to ask Him to do something like heal somebody. 
He splits mountains in half. When the people come up to the sea and the armies are pressing them in, He opens the waters in a way none of us have seen before, but that's what He does. And that is what the school of Christ teaches us, is that He will take care of His people and He aims to do mighty things so that we would see Him and understand Him and that we would praise Him appropriately. And if we do not know who He is, if we don't take hold and with our eyes, with our understanding, and submit it in holy, informed fear, Folks, we are just going to be a water pistol and that's it. We're just going to putter out anytime something hard shows up. I hope we would not be a people this way. The second, the second thing that we can take from this passage in verse 39 is we need to learn that the instruction of God is good. Right? It's good to have this instruction. But being free from guilt is even better. In verse 39, we see that the request of the psalmist is one we do not often consider, and that's to have reproach removed. Put plainly, reproach, or at least the term used here, means shame or embarrassment. This is not unfamiliar to us. It is the scarlet letter that shines our guilt and humiliation for the whole world to see clearly and from a distance. It makes perfect sense that the psalmist would want this because in his learning, in his time under the instruction of the Lord, he would see the shame of his own ways and what it brings. What is more unique about this though is that when he sees that and he asks for his reproach to be removed, he does not function like the world who would reject the whole premise of that embarrassment altogether. What does he do? He says, your rules are not the problem. They're good. I'm the problem. But I still need my reproach removed. The idea that rules or commandments of the Old Testament are not necessary or do not find a place in our life because Jesus changes them is not a biblical one. It's just not. It's not one that we learn in the school of Christ. And what we will find is that they are and have always been good. And not for our own good, but more importantly, that our failure does not force God to lower the bar somehow and, and sort of grade us on a bell curve. That's not what is happening. He doesn't diminish those. But instead, the Lord does something even more amazing. He does. He removes our shame and reproach. Or as we see in Jeremiah 31, He makes a promise to the people in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their embarrassment, as the walls have literally fallen in on them and they are completely defeated by the Babylonian king. And they hear this promise that comes in the midst of their shame. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those, de- those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be My people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Or put plainly, I will remove their embarrassment and shame. I will remove their reproach. This is what happens to us. This is what happens to us 
who God changes because of Christ's death and resurrection. He takes shameful people who hate His rules, who feel that they're just restrictive, and bear, He bears their shame on the cross and puts the law of the Lord in their hearts where they can love and cherish them forever. Those who deserve or discover and see this do so only in the Scripture, only in the classroom of Christ. And so we should be good learners and know to have our shame removed is better. Lastly, we learn, we should learn that true righteousness is from God alone and we are to accept no substitutes. This is the real stuff. This morning's final verse is a great help for us to see what comes in our divine education. The Bible does not just serve us to give us what we should or should not do. If you haven't seen it yet, it reveals to us what we all seek, namely life. When we think of this idea of seeking life, what I think we're really meaning, at least in my brain, is we seek the life that feels worth living. A joy-filled life. Now if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you are attentive to this reality. This reality of seeking life. That you'd be able to recognize that you ultimately want to have peace. That you want to have peace, joy, and life. There are many ways to attempt this, but in the school of Christ, in the pages of, of Scripture, I can assure you and all of us that there is no way to have joy and there is certainly no way to find life outside of the good and loving relationship with your Creator, with the divine author. It's not possible. If you read the Scriptures, you will see this over and over again. So how does this change? Do we, do we simply just read the Bible, and then boom, He's happy with us? God's happy with us because we read the Bible? We did what we were supposed to? No, that's wrong. Okay, so why bother to read it and if, that, if that's not the case, if more, if more is required? Why bother to attend the school of Christ if simply showing up is not enough? Friend, in the pages of this book is life. Not from reading them, but from the one they speak of. And that's what they do. They speak of Christ. Every page speaks and points us to Christ, the One who gives life. The school of Christ, the Bible, is entirely about God and His mission to make all things right. In the pages of this book, you will see what everyone always sees, that God is perfect and good. We as a people have rebelled against His laws, but in our rebellion, He did not attack. Instead, He adopted. He set His face to call a people out of their rebellion and to transform them into His image. To do this, though, He sent His Son, Jesus, our Lord. And Jesus, the incarnate God, truly man, truly God, He lived a life that was perfect and righteous. And every time He was tempted, and He was tempted often, He looked and He knew this is better. And He did this over and over and over and over again all the way to the cross. And He laid down His life 
to exchange His perfect uprightness, His righteousness, to exchange it for us in our rebellion and our crooked natures, our depravity. And He does. He exchanged it for our corruption and He paid the price with shame, pain, and death. And to show us all to show us all and to show all of creation that He had fully covered our shame. The shame of all of His people. That their sins were paid in full. Jesus was raised from the dead. And He is alive now and even now ruling over all things. I don't know why we're quiet, folks. I know nobody in here has seen somebody raised from the dead, but that's what we proclaim. That's what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture looks at us in the eyeball and says, the Lord is not dead. He's alive. And the reason we can be happy that He's alive, not because He's going to war against us, because He has defeated our sin and His conquering, His, His seating now and ruling over everything is a massive declaration to those things that are seen and unseen that He has defeated every enemy. Brothers and sisters, that is worth Worshiping the Lord over. Join. And in doing this, I say this all for one simple reason. If you do not know the Lord and you are seeking joy, peace, and life, you can stop looking. You, and I don't know who you are, I suspect you're here. If you are seeking life, you can stop. You don't have to look any further. You can trust that Jesus has turned away your shame, your reproach. And that you can have true joy and life because of Jesus' righteousness. Is this you? Please don't leave here today without telling someone. You can look around. There's plenty of people in here, whether you know them or not, that you can tell. But we want to know. We want to know if you have found life in Christ. Please. You could tell someone that is in your row or sitting next to you, or if you know a believer, tell them. We'll have some guys up here in just a few minutes that would be happy to pray with you, to encourage you, to help you as you learn to follow Christ. And if you're a Christian, this news doesn't get old. It is the well we always return to. Because there's always going to be a moment that we're tempted to trust in our own righteousness and our own ability. And we need to often be reminded it is still Christ alone who gives us life by His own righteousness. There are no substitutes even for the Christian. This is not a message simply for those who don't call themselves a Christian. This is a ballad that we can tie off to forever and always, knowing whatever temptation comes, whatever things would steal your heart away, you can look to Christ and you can know, not only is He better, but He's mine. I don't have to be pulled away. So brothers and sisters, cling to Christ and the life that He brings. So if you trust in Him, but you struggle, attend class. 
Go learn from Jesus. And reading your Bible, you will see that it is still by His righteousness alone that we endure, that we are saved. It is by His righteousness and not our own that we truly receive life. Pray with me. Your ways are far, far higher than our ways, Lord. You keep count with every pulse in the room and you know each one perfectly. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a work, Holy Spirit, that even now you would give those who do not have a heart of flesh a heart of flesh. That you would awaken your people who slumber in sin. But I pray that we would be a people that go to your word desiring to see you and to learn from you, to be taught by you, Lord. That we would be amazed at the grace of your provision that you would teach us, that you would show us all your ways. But so I ask that you would help us. Lord, we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.